0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: Dealing with the whole chapter, but we will not read the entire chapter. I'll give you some specific verses for uh, for you to turn to. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip. Chapter 7 of Hebrews, beginning at verse 1. And I have entitled the message this morning, Melchizedek. And I'm sure that sounds like an odd title for a message, but I hope you understand it before we get over as to why we've made this selection. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now move to verse uh, 14 and 15. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest. Verse 21. Down toward the latter portion of it where it begins the Lord. The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Down to 24. For this man, that is Jesus, for this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself, for the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was seen it was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Let us pray. Lord God take our lives this morning and Engulf them in your will. Surround us completely and fully by the power of your Spirit. Enter into every heart and every soul and overflow us with your love. And may this love seep out of our lives and influence and affect the lives of those about us. Help us, Lord, understand your relationship to us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, who Jesus is, you might think of that little song that goes, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And it goes on to say, he's the lily of the valley, he's the bright and morning star, he's the fairest out in thousands. What's the next one? Forget it. There's one more. Everybody ought to know. But I want to ask you a more personal question. I don't want you to say he's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. I want you to answer, who is he to you? Make it personal probably everybody in this congregation would respond, he is my Savior. And yes, he is. If he is not your Savior and you cannot make that statement this morning, the beginning of 1989 ought to be the time that you make that decision and claim him as your Savior. Secondly, someone might say, he's my Lord. Not as many of us would say he is our Lord as those who would say he is our Savior. For we want him as our Savior, for we want to go to heaven. There's not as many of us who want him to lord our life. And so fewer of us would make that statement. Some might say, he's my elder brother. Or he's my advocate. He's the one who intercedes for me in God's presence. But I suspect not one of us have said, he's my priest. But this passage of scripture makes that point. Now the reason we don't think probably in the terms of priest is that we do not use that terminology and we have nobody that is assigned to that responsibility in our church. We as Christian people and particularly as Baptists believe in what we call the priesthood of all believers. That is everybody is his own priest in that he has the capability of going to the Lord on his own. You don't have to come to me and me pray for you. You can do it yourself. That's the point. But the scripture says that Jesus is a high priest after the order of some guy whose name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek. I hope you will remember the name Melchizedek, not because that individual means anything, but that Jesus assumes the responsibility for you and for me in our relationship to God as our high priest. To understand that, we've got to go back and understand a little of the Old Testament. Back in the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis... This guy Melchizedek is mentioned in the 14th chapter actually. I want to go back to the 13th chapter in a moment. He's not mentioned again for a thousand years until over in the book of Psalms. David makes reference to him in the 110th Psalm. He's not mentioned again for another thousand years until here in the book of Hebrews the writer of Hebrews uses his name. the psalmist, David, and the writer to Hebrews is making reference not to Melchizedek, but to Jesus Christ and said he is a high priest after the order of this fellow Melchizedek. Alright. You may remember that Lot and Abraham uh, had some differences. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. I'm saying Lot. Am I right? Okay. I lost my confidence there for a minute. Now, Abraham had taken Lot, his nephew, with him when he left home and was doing all this traveling and over the period of time there became a confusion and an argument between the people who, took, who looked after the, the herds of Abraham as opposed to those who looked after the herds of Lot. And so Abraham finally said to Lot, Let's not have confusion and argument amongst us. We're going to have to separate. If you go one way, I'll go the other. And so that happened. And Lot looked toward the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were beautiful cities and very appealing. And so he took that route and moved into the city of Sodom. Well, five of the city-states that were in the territory, there were kings of cities who were states of their own, banded themselves together to fight a war against the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. And here is Lot in the city of Sodom, and those five who... Who linked themselves together, won the battle, and captured the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and as a part of it, captured Lot and his family. Took them captive. Abraham heard about it. Abraham armed his men. 318, the 14th chapter of the Genesis says, 318 men he put in armor with their spears and whatever else they had, and he went out and rescued Lot and his family and brought back with him the bounty from all of this uh, um, battle. And when he came back, he was met by Melchizedek, whom the scripture in Genesis 14 and here in Hebrews 7 says he was a high priest of God. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, gave him a blessing as was the habit of the Old Testament. And it was to Melchizedek that Abraham paid a tithe. And I mentioned him when I I preached about tithing one day. This Melchizedek is a guy who appears on the scene, he is identified as to who he is and he just disappears from the scene. He is called here in the second verse the king of righteousness. He's called the king of Salem. and By the way, that was the old name for the city Jerusalem. And so he was the king of the city of Jerusalem which and king of Salem is translated king of peace. So God recognizes this man as a king of righteousness and a king of peace. And verse 3 tells us that he, if you want to read it literally, this, and I want to question you here, sometimes you cannot literally read the Bible and understand what it's saying. If so, verse 3 means that this man, Melchizedek, never had a father or a mother. That's what it says. Without father, without mother, without descent. Without any history. No background. He came from nowhere. He disappeared into nowhere. He is on the scene and gone. What it is saying is there is no record of the history of Melchizedek. He came into this world and and performed his responsibilities, and he is gone. But the scripture says that Jesus came as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that meaning he had no beginning, he will have no ending, he was appointed of God for the specific purpose of being the high priest. You're going to have to think in terms of calling Jesus a high priest this morning. Tonight, I'm going to call him our minister. And that's the title of tonight's message. Because the 8th chapter identifies Jesus as our minister. Here in the seventh, it identifies him as our high priest. Now, what's the role of a priest? Well, the priests were established many years after Melchizedek was on the scene when God established the sons of Aaron, Aaron and his sons, to be the first priests of the the nation. They were to come out of the tribe of Levi, so the 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 Levi tribe was the tribe in which every boy born automatically became a priest. He was appointed by birth to serve as a priest. And he was not called, he was born a priest. He came from the tribe of Levi. Their purpose was to conduct the worship services in the tabernacles and in the temple. But once a year, one of these men who was appointed the high priest, the ruler of the priest, the chief priests, did something specific for the people. And we preached about that some time ago, in which the high priest went behind the veil across the tabernacle. He went behind the veil and there he offered sacrifices for the people. Jesus is our high priest whose job it is to offer sacrifice for his people. Follow me? He is our high priest in that he does something that nobody else is allowed to do except the high priest. And that is offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And this Jesus did. In that capacity he's our high priest. Now, Jesus didn't come out of the tribe of Levi. He came out of the tribe of Judah. He is of a totally different order than the the priest that had been established by the law. That's what verse 14 tells us. Look down at verse 16. Jesus, as high priest was not made after the law, not after a carnal, that is a physical commandment. God gave a command that the the tribe of Levi be the priest, but God said, Jesus will come out of a different tribe, he will not be of the same order as your normal priest. And what is different about it? Look at the ending of verse 16. After the power of an endless life, there will not be any more high priests. Now that becomes important. In the Old Testament days, when the high priest died, another one was appointed. And that new high priest went on offering the sacrifices for everybody. But there's only one high priest now appointed forever and we're going to find very shortly that this one high priest only offered one sacrifice. And he will never offer another one. The one sacrifice he offered to cover the sins of people like the Old Testament high priests were offering to cover the sins of the people but he has an endless life. There, verse 18, and go on. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment. In other words, God is saying, I am doing away with the Old Testament priestly processes in which every year the high priest goes behind the veil and offers the sacrifice, in which they brought all of their sacrifices time after time after time and continued to offer them. Why is he doing away with this type of process? The latter portion of verse 18 says, Because for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. There was a weakness in the process of the sacrifices that had been offered over the years. It was not profitable. Why? Why was it not profitable? Because I could offer my sacrifice today and tomorrow I commit sin and I've got to offer the sacrifice all over again to cover my sin. Continually. Millions upon millions upon millions of animals died to keep the Jewish people saved. Because they had to be saved over and over and over and over. For they were saved today and went out of the temple and got angry with their neighbor and they were required to come back and offer another sacrifice to cover that sin. And the next day it happened again. Let me ask you this. How many times this week would you have had to have brought your sacrifice to the church? So that a priest could have offered a sacrifice to get your sins forgiven if we were under the old process. And finally God got to the place. He said, I hate and I despise all of this. I'm going to do away with it. And what is he going to do? He's going to send one high priest who will offer one sacrifice who will cover all sin for all time and there'll never be another sacrifice made. Are you following me? That's why I tell you it's impossible for a person to be saved and lost and saved and lost. You've only got one sacrifice that's made. You're either covered by that sacrifice or you're lost. And He's not going to go back to the cross and do it over. Never. Look at verse 19. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Did you read that? You see there are lots of people who want to be saved by the law. I don't know if any of you noticed that I took this off the wall and brought it up here. It's the Ten Commandments. It hangs downstairs on the wall this is the law thou shalt have no other gods before me thou shalt not make unto me any graven enemies thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain and on and on it goes you break one of these in the Old Testament days you better bring your sacrifice somebody asked Jesus on one occasion what was the greatest one of these which one was the be- the greatest the most important? And his response was thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And then he added in the second is like to it and thy neighbor as thyself. People say to me and you've heard it said many times I'm going to go to heaven because I try to keep the Ten Commandments. And as long as I do this, I'll be okay. Which one of those can you keep? The first one we read, we suddenly discover that we can't keep. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Is there one of us here that has fully, completely satisfied that law? Then how are we going to get to heaven if we just got to do it by the keeping of the law? Because not one of us are capable of keeping the law. We're weak. We have already failed in one or more of these today. Today, And we've been in church. So what's our salvation? We're going to get to heaven. It's going to have to be done some other way than obedience to the law. And that is, it's going to be done by the one sacrifice that our high priest made for us on the cross of Calvary. If you get to heaven, it's because you've got a perfect soul. I want you to follow me through on this, and don't lose me now. I'm misquoted more than one time, Uh, and, and I don't want you to misquote me on this. The Bible says that which is born of God does not sin. And the lost people of the world take issue with that. That's impossible, and even some Christian people take issue with it which is born of God, does not sin. And some people have said, well, since I'm born of God, I'm sinless. No, that's not what that's saying. Your soul is sinless. That's what's born of God. Your soul is acceptable to God because God took it and cleansed it and made it acceptable to Him. But your body's not yet done. Your body's imperfect. Your physical, the way we live, is imperfect. It's not acceptable to God. That's why when we die, our body, our physical's got to go to the ground and it's going to stay there until it has been transformed and changed. And when Jesus comes back, even the body is going to be made acceptable to God. The soul is now made acceptable by the blood of Jesus Christ. Eventually the body will be made acceptable as well when it will be changed and transformed and made like Christ's own glorious body. So if you're going to get to heaven, you're going to have to be perfect. And if you're going to be perfect because you obey these, you're going to come up short. We can't even get by number one. Right? Okay. There's a new way, he says, that we can draw an eye to God, and the new way is to go through the high priest. Got to hurry, don't I? There's a verse or two here we cannot possibly overlook. Go to verse 26. Well, let's stop at verse 25. Jesus is the person referred to in the word he. Jesus is able, and I think we can add willing. Jesus is able... To save them that do what? That save them, or to what? To the uttermost. Save to the uttermost. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. What's the word uttermost mean? It means save completely. It means save now and always. It means to be saved forever. Jesus is able to save forever those who come to Him, or come to God, through Him, or by Him. Hear that? Jesus is capable of saving forever. Those who come to God through the high priest, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. Who is holy? Jesus the high priest is holy. He is harmless. That word harmless means he has no fault. There was no fault in him. Pilate could find no fault in him, even at the trial. He is undefiled. That is, he has not been tainted with our sin. He escaped through this world carrying our sin, but not one of them did he ever commit. And he is separated from sinners. Now, that doesn't mean that he kept himself aloof from sinners. He was always in the midst of sinners. But the sin of sinners did not take him. He stood head and shoulders above in perfection. When anybody looks at Jesus Christ, they see a perfect person. There was never a hint of imperfection about him. And lastly, he is higher than the heavens. Higher than the heavens. What's he there for? Because now we're to look up to him. He is to be respected and revered and worshiped. And what's he doing there? Well, let's look at verse 27. And I want to reemphasize the statement I made earlier. Last phrase. This he did once. When he offered up himself. Jesus has now a dual position. Number one, he's the high priest that makes the sacrifice. Number two, he is the sacrifice. You see it? He offered himself. No high priest in all the Old Testament ever offered himself. He offered a lamb. He offered a bull. He offered a turtle dove. He offered something, whatever the people brought. Never did the high priest offer himself. And Jesus now is not only the high priest, but he is the one who is also the sacrifice. He offers up himself once and for all time, never to be repeated. Listen, Jesus was my Savior when he hung on the cross. Today, he is in heaven. And you know what his position is to me today? He's my high priest. He, what is he doing there? He has offered up himself. He now represents me before God. He is my representative before God. And God swore an oath in verse 28. The oath was, and I'll read it in phrases just so you can see it. God made an oath, and the oath made the Son. See where it maketh the Son? We have to add a phrase to understand it since we haven't read it all. God maketh the Son, High Priest, forevermore. Forevermore. Who is Jesus to you? Number one, He's our Savior. But secondly, He's our High Priest who goes to God on our behalf, who offered Himself on our behalf, who is now on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. You see, you can't get to God on your own. I can't get there on my own. There are lots of people who try it who believe that because they believe in God, they can go to heaven. Listen, you don't get to heaven because you believe in God. You get to heaven because you let the high priest offer a sacrifice for you that you accept. And that sacrifice makes you a perfect soul and someday will give you a perfect body. All because of what the high priest did who gave his own life on the cross of Calvary? All right, who is he to you? You might have a different answer now than you had earlier. But if you're not a Christian, I want to ask you, who is he to you? I'll tell you, he will never be your high priest until you let him offer the sacrifice for you. He will only be the judge. If you're not saved this morning, if you're not a Christian, when we sing our invitation hymn, you ought to start this new year right and come under the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary when our high priest offered the great sacrifice one time that covers everybody forever. Do you know even the Old Testament people, even Abraham is covered by the blood of Christ? That's why Jesus had to go descend to hell And when he ascended back out of hell, he led captivity captive. He went down there that his blood would cover Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the other Old Testament people that had not yet made it to heaven. They were in paradise, but that wasn't heaven. The blood of Christ covers the sin from Adam to the end of time. One sacrifice for all forever. Are you under it? Are you covered by it? Let us pray.